I'm reminded now of Steve Davis talking about the experience of trying to get snacks in his parents' house and that his mother would say, there is a chicken carcass in the fridge, there is plenty of meat on it and he would find meat on all sorts of bits of a chicken that you didn't know that there was meat on it, which proved useful later when I asked him to strip a chicken for me and I discovered that the amount of chicken you could get off a, a chicken is much greater than I'd heretofore believe. Anyway, the amount of chicken you could get out of the Hugo Voter packet is very large, people, but there are still some weird gristly bits. <laughs> well, well, that's that's good. Hello everyone and welcome to the very 59th episode of Octothorpe, the podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 9th of June 2022. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we have letters of comments. The first letter of comment is from Dave Coxon saying, isn't that artwork good though? And it was good. Thank you very much to Brad W. Foster for doing the spectacular artwork for last episode. I have the original line art winging its way to my house so I can put it on my wall. Yeah, thank you very much, Brad. And if you're an artist and you would like to know the art specifications for Octothorpe, if you can't work them out from First Principles, do get in touch and we will send them to you. We would love you to do art for the podcast for no reward whatsoever, except that we're very nice about it on the pod. And um, if you want to make like 30 to $40 selling me a copy of the original artwork, you know, that's uh, apparently a good wheeze. Ooh, yeah, let me know which ones you want, John, and we'll sort that out. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem, right? Because maybe all of them, and that, that is orcs. Yeah, but Alison's art is digital, which means she can make bank on this by saying a copy to you and a copy to me. Because <laughs> I quite like the one where I'm an echidna muppet. Oh well, actually, Brad also sent me the um the like finished coloured version, uh, and I'm going to print that out and um mount them in the same frame. So I think that would look nice. Ooh. He did also on the line art spell it Octa Horde instead of Octothorpe, which I thought was quite funny. Podcasts for tedium. We got various people saying, so Johnny Johnny Baddeley, uh said that he agrees that podcasts are good for work tedium, and Ali Baker Brooks and Virginia Preston both said that podcasts are also very good for car journeys. Um, Virginia particularly said that she listened to Octothorpe as she drove to her sister's this morning, and she hardly minded the North Circular being slow. Um, so that is high praise. Thank you all. Octothorpe, better than being stuck in a traffic jam on the North Circular. Officially. I think it's better than being stuck on the, a traffic jam on the North Circular without Octothorpe. <laughs> we got several letters about um, convention data. Um, and Lillian wrote and said, My bat radar went spung when you mentioned people who might be quite good on panels but are never going to fill in a 200-page form. And yes, possibly we did mean you, Lillian. She also said she'd absolutely love to be involved in data, a, a panel item about data and of course Lillian is a, a very famous data professor type person so that might be quite good and she says this happens a lot at academic conferences too which I'm sure is right. Chris Garcia writes in to say that when he wrote when he ran the fanzine lounge at Reno one of the things he got was a box of stuff which included panel kind of data from 10 different conventions and um, the kind of 
undertaking he did to analyze that data revealed to him that there was no trend and so that's the flip side we might do all of this work and find out that it's just it's just random and that would be sad uh but thanks chris for alerting us in his regular role as the pessimist of science fiction fandom i think we can all agree that we associate chris with uh, pessimism and downturned mouths but the lovely thing about machine learning is that you can take data where there is no correlation and nothing to be learned and you can pull out results from it anyway i think that's why people like it so much oh shots fired um yeah, I'm I'm going to disagree with Chris. I mean, in a way, if you do all the work in the analysis and then find that there is no correlation, what you've learned, I guess, is that we don't need to keep doing this analysis because there's nothing to be learned from it. So maybe we should take that as a lesson. Yes. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Um, a negative result is still a useful result. We did have some um, letters on the topic of Worldcon. Uh, Malcolm Hutchison writes to ask now that people can read their favorite podcast about science fiction and fandom will anyone complete the circle and have it read out to them as an audiobook and if you'd like the rights to make the audiobook of the octothought transcripts do get in touch we're selling them at a very reasonable rate what i think we should do is take all the data for previous octothorps and feed it into a machine learning um, model and then get the voices that it created from that to read out the podcast. Very wise. Oh, no, I'm going to use a machine learning pod model to generate an entirely new podcast and see if you and put it out as the next podcast and see if anyone can, you know, tell the difference. We should do that as a filler episode. It might be harder to edit <laughs> than the real one. And I think we've had that idea before as well. I think it would take more of our time collectively than just recording an episode of Octothorpe is the problem. Something that came up about knowing why panellists are on panels at a Zoom meeting recently, um, I was made aware that at Balticon, moderators of panels got the answers the panellists had written about why they would be good on the panel, and that helped them shape the discussion. And I had not appreciated that, but that is very clever. I think this was feedback from Gillian Polak, who said that she was on panels at Balticon and thought they were all excellent because the moderators were better prepared than usual because of the new style programming system. And she said all the panels she went to or was on had excellent people who knew what they were talking about, like Gillian. I don't know if that will be exposed in the Chicon interface, but I mean, it's basically, you know, if you're doing a panel, then usually the moderator might email everyone and say, hello, can you tell me something about who you are and why you're on this panel? And you're just basically taking that information early and hopefully feeding it to the moderator and using it to kind of shape the people on the panel rather than only collecting it later on. Yeah, I think moderator practice varies a lot. If Chicago aren't planning to do it, I mean, it might be something they could look at because I think it, it does sound like, especially at a convention that doesn't have a green room culture in the way that Eastercons and other British conventions do, I can see that it might make the the panel much more able to explore the expertises of its panellists uh, in a way that I think could be really, really positive. Um, so I think that's really cool. After last episode, I wrote to Alison and Liz to very excitedly tell them that Ray Bearer is getting the Netflix treatment. And Liz replied saying, Oh, yeah, I already knew that. And I forgot to mention it on the podcast. Well, she was like, don't care about TV, care about books. And I was like, that is fair. Um, but I... Is that what I said? Okay. Yeah, you should clip that bit where Liz says she doesn't care about it. She forgot to mention it on the podcast out for future use. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten I said it. I've forgotten I made a funny comment there. So 
Thank you for reminding me, John. And I write round after the podcast to say that Abigail Dusbaum wrote an essay about everything, everywhere, all at once, which was much more thoughtful and erudite than anything I managed to think about the movie. So I want to link to it this time. It's very good. Yeah, it's very annoying when she does that. She wrote a much, much uh, better review of She Who Became the Sun um, than I could manage when I was doing it as a pick. So maybe we'll save that for when we do the Hugo discussion episode. Ooh, good. I should read that as well. I uh, I have nearly finished it now and my opinion of it has gone up quite a bit from where it was halfway through. We have been having we have been having discussions about American foodstuffs on our British podcast and to get revenge may not actually be anything connected. Uh, Athena Scalzi has written a blog post about a British snack box on whatever and uh it's worth reading just because reading an American describe pickled onion crisps is brilliant. Um, 10 out of 10 would read again we should take pickled onion monster munch to chicago and just give them out to people because i think that would really confuse everyone i know pickled onion crisps are very normal not in the states it says in our show notes that allison has learned a lesson which seems you know unlikely thanks for that Alison do you want to expand I believe I've learned a lesson from EasterCon in that one of the things we did at EasterCon was we spent a lot of time um, hanging out with our mates without any masks on and um, at ShyCon I'm planning to spend a lot of time hanging out with my mates and other fans with masks on um, because I am in charge of a covid aware social space at chicon which is the fanzine lounge um so they asked me what what job title do you want as the person who is running the fanzine lounge and i said i want to be a salonier um so my division head has had to look up that word because they don't really do french in america so i am i am a woman who runs a salon and I am hoping it is somewhere where all the interesting people will hang out. Um, I have two seconds in this who are um, Nigel Rowe, and who's a local Chicago fan, and Spanish Sheriff, who um, makes pancakes, but maybe not for the Fancy Lounge, but, you know, but who actually ran the Fancy Lounge at Helsinki, and they are helping me. And so... Although it's... So the Fancy Lounge is one of these things that's got a bit of a history, and the traditional name is fanzine lounge but really what this is meant to be is for a lounge for the community of active fans who do fan things and want to get together with other people who do fan things and talk about them um for you know to chat not have big panel items on them or formal organization organized things but that probably means fan casters as well and fan writers and fan artists and other people of that kind so if you're somebody who's fan whose primary involvement in fandom is is doing stuff rather than necessarily appreciating stuff this is the space for you i think come and find us and it's going to be master required it's in the exhibits hall so it is not eating or drinking space You'll be able to carry reusable containers and you sip from them. And I've already had some discussion with um, active fans about what sorts of containers you can carry around and sip from. Um, But, you know, when you're thirsty Um, and it's not possible to make social spaces completely COVID free, but we're going to do what we can to help you chill and hang out with people at the con. I mean, this is just the general, that's the general strike on thing, isn't it? There's going to be some eating, drinking spaces where you can sit and you can drink for half an hour with your mask off and then everywhere else is a mask on social space. So 
what what we did at EasterCon, I think, would not be allowed, as well as possibly not being the most sensible thing we did at EasterCon. I mean, it's not; it wasn't the stupidest thing I did at EasterCon, but that's only because I did some really stupid things at EasterCon. Did it involve straws and one kind of beer? <laughs> Stupider things than that. <laughs> you gonna come and hang out with me in the fancy lounge, guys? Yeah, I like the fanzine lounge. Sometimes there's program in the fanzine lounge. I was on a program item at renovation on making fanzines with Espana and um, Jean Martin, who was the editor of Science Fiction in San Francisco back in the day. Uh, and that was very good. I remember that panel item fondly. Is that, had you just met Espana at that point? Yeah, first convention. Oh, did you meet on the panel? No, she was wearing... She was wearing a T-shirt, which she refers to as her Fuck You John T-shirt for reasons that I won't elucidate on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, no, we had already met uh, at that point. She had already met and she was already wearing a T-shirt just to uh, pitch off in some way. Yeah. Well, and also Jerry Kaufman was on that panel, but he elected to sit in the audience and not really participate, which was, you know, I respect that as a choice. So I don't think we're going to have text, so I don't think we're going to have proper programme, though Liz might correct me if I'm wrong about this. I don't know. Um, but we probably are going to have some micro-programme, which I've told Enchanter is going to kind of be the sort of very trivial stuff that flies under the radar of the programme team. Where is the fanzine lounge going to be? Because, to be honest, whether I hang out in it... Chicago. <laughs> It's at the back of the it's at the back of the exhibit hall. It's going to be next to fan tables and um, and fanac and the like work on history stuff and things like that. Okay, because usually it sort of depends on whether it ends up being like a nice space hangout or whether it ends up being like a sofa. So I will have to see how it how it goes for you. I mean, one big thing is that. Obviously, normally you can't eat and drink in like the around the fan tables and stuff, and that makes it a place I'm less likely to hang out. But you can't eat and drink anywhere, apart from in designated spaces. So, you know, it's not like I'm missing out on being in the bar time to hang out in the fanzine lounge. Yeah, that's right. So, and it is it, it is designed to be a bar with no beer unless you bring it yourself in resealable containers. I like fan lounges at um, US conventions. I quite often spend quite a lot of time there, so uh, that makes sense. Uh, I am looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, if everyone, if all my mates decide to hang out somewhere else, I'll be really sad about it. But I, hopefully, we're going to get enough people to volunteer to take a couple of hour shift in the fancy lounge that I won't be absolutely tied to it all the time. But I mean, yeah, I think it's going to be a good place to hang out. I don't want you all to come and hang out there. Probably will hang out there, but only because I don't won't know very many people at Shycon because not as many of the Brits are going. So I'll probably come and hang out and meet people, maybe. Yay, people. Well, we'll have fans, right? We'll, we'll, all, all of our Octothorpe worldwide listener crew will come and say hello to us. And I mean, I don't know if we have a worldwide listener crew, right? But if you're one of our Octothorpe worldwide listener crew, do come and say hello to us at Chicon. We've, we've got Chris Garcia. Yeah, we know we have a worldwide listenership because Chris, Chris writes in. He's worldwide. He lives in California, listeners. He does. Look, between between the two of us and Chris, we're covering three continents. So that's pretty good. Yeah, this is like Moose. It's not uncommon yeah. for Moose to start up. And after about 10 minutes, we've got people from three or four continents. And I'm like, this is cool. I'm pretty sure we've got a listener in Australia because uh, Roman writes in. I, I think Gillian probably listens. Uh, but Hello, Gillian. It's difficult. To... Hello, Gillian. Um, 
it might be that she just listens to us on Cafe Moose uh, and gets the gist. Uh, so if you listen to the podcast, Gillian, do tell me off for, for impugning your integrity. Uh, so what we do need is a, is a listener from South America and a listener from Antarctica. And, and listeners from Africa, please. And listeners from anywhere in Asia that's not Thailand. Yeah, basically any listeners in Asia who are not me. Because I'm not really a listener, am I? Well, 80% of the time you are. <laughs> According to our statistics. Um, oh, no. We're so sorry, Liz. <laughs> Quality, not quantity, John. I was going to ask you a question, Alison. Are you going to do woof? I would like woof to happen. Um, I don't personally want to be the organising editor of Woof. So if you would like to be the organising editor of Woof and you're listening to this podcast, please get in touch. Um, backing up a bit, Woof is the Worldcon APA. Backing up a bit more, an APA, or Amateur Periodical Association, is a... Flying bison. ...thing where a bunch of people bring along a fanzine and then they pull them all together and turn it into uh, a collated fanzine that then gets handed out to everybody. And I am a member of a couple of appers at the moment, but there is a there's one that happens at Worldcon every year, and um, we would definitely like to make that happen in the Fancy Lounge at Chicago. You do need to bring your contributions with you. We're not going to print them all off for you. Oh no! I think what that means is you're going to get lots of people being like, "But where do I print it off?" Copy shops. I mean, if we want to print them all off, then actually I could do that. I just need some more budget that I don't have. So we might have to. We might do a thing where we go. We could do this, but we're going to have a tip jar. Unless it's no in advance. Do either of you have any questions? But definitely podcasters. If you're a podcaster and you're listening to this, this is a place where you could hang out and meet other people who make and do things. No. We, if there's one thing we know, it's that podcasts aren't fanzines, Alison. That has been litigated many times in fandom. Podcasters are verboten. And if you're a podcaster, you will be shunned. Hugo girl, come and hang out with us in the fancy lounge. <laughs> I so I had not realized this small digression but I saw a photo of Hugo girl and I did not realize that they they record like around a table hadn't you no that explains the champagne because obviously I beatboxed the champagne because we're not around a table this is deficient we should be around a table more with champagne so we might have to do that in Chicago at breakfast at breakfast oh mimosas do, do you think we might have to hang out more than once at Chicago no I get to the end and I'm like, right, I'm avoiding both of you for the rest of the time. He's going to make the Hugo ceremony real awkward. Nothing that says we have to sit together at the Hugo ceremony. <laughs> yeah, we should try and get the professional photographer on the red carpet to do a picture of the three of us rather than just us in couples. Yes. They do, they do, per, they do per finalist photos usually. And we've got to stand in the right order. Yep. And then, then people will go, God, Alison really is short. Shall we talk about the Hugo Voter Packet? Yes. The Hugo Voter Packet has come out and I have downloaded it in its glory. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I had not realised that not everyone downloads every file and goes through it in order taking everything out and recategorizing it before deleting it because a lot of people have been surprised that there are books in best editor and i was like well of course there are books in best editor because when you opened the best editor file there were books in it and and i had not realized not everyone does it like that i even downloaded best dramatic presentation long form just to check there's nothing i don't think there's much in there but you know 
Yeah, because I didn't download Best Editor because normally it's just a list of stuff stuff people have edited, and I'm not that bothered. It wasn't last year. It had lots of lots of things in it. This is the thing. Oh. Maybe this is just because I downloaded it at Reno and it had things in it, and so I was like, oh, sometimes this has things in it. One of the things about the Hugo Voter Packet is that the best fan cast download is quite large, and those who are not fully plugged into uh, the Hugo Awards may not know that best fan cast is the lowest participated category and if you get the less than 25 percent of the ballots cast a vote in your category your category does not run um and i think we're all a little bit worried that having a really big file in the voter packet will um exacerbate that problem how big is the best fan cast download it's really big it's monumentally big it is 2.9 gigabytes and many Many um, Hugo voters probably are still using computer file systems that won't cope with a single file larger than two gigabytes. And in fact, some of the reports of this going wrong, I suspect that's what's gone wrong with it. It's two point. It's two point one rather than two point nine. I should say. Um, I found that my problem with it is it downloads like it's being downloaded over like some kind of tin can telephone or something. I have fast internet, um, and it took half an hour to get a two gig file. <laughs> which is pretty ridiculous for me. Oh, you're lucky. When I were a lass, we used to watch as the four megabytes came in and we were lo- we were proud of that. We were so thrilled. That's what we call broadband. I'm sorry, I've gone off on one again. You've gone off on one and I started with a 28K modem. So it's not <laughs> like I was... Oh, you were lucky. I started with two tin cans and a piece of string. But yes, yeah, so it, it is a big file, and for me, it downloaded extremely slowly, and there were reports that the download didn't finish. So I think there might be two issues. One is that the file is too big, and the second is that I don't know what Tricon are hosting it on, but it's not working that well everywhere. But anyway, our download was the smallest. The best fancast is always a big download because fancasts are MP3 files, and they're quite big. Um, and I think our download was the smallest of the six, so we are now polishing our laurels but we think it would be good to split this up or make it or for for the Hugo voter packet team to make it easier for people to get these files if they're interested in or maybe to have separate dis- downloads that is just the supporting material and point people at the original podcasts for the files because all of this stuff is available for free on the internet's anyway that's actually because full confession listeners i don't tend to listen to the fancast nominees by downloading the zip file i tend to subscribe to them in my podcast player and download like the episodes they have put in the packet so i would quite like there to be two versions of of the download which is one which is just here are the episodes they included and any ancillary materials they put in and the other one be the mp3s because i i don't need the mp3s they're on they're on the internet already um, and i listen to things in my podcast player so if i'm going to listen to a podcast in my podcast player i might as well listen to it as a podcast if that makes any sense at all hopefully it does i mean i would say i would say i would have thought we should be smaller than stuff like best related work where some of the works will be kind of big pdfs because like a pdf or or best graphic novel because i feel like a pdf of a graphic novel should be bigger than than four mp3 files from like a podcast but um maybe i am wrong this is also an issue for best for the graphic novel category Yes, it is. Although for those who um, 
have not looked uh, the whole run of kieran gillen's die series up to this point is in there uh and very worth having a look at i mean i honestly think the essays in the back are better than the comic but that might just be me you are way off topic now i completely understand why this has happened and like i'm sure that once we raise it as a thing like things will happen that mean it's better um and i think that's how it should be um but just like kind of wanted to to sort of channel out a little bit on the podcast um but yeah and and the people who do this like i have been fortunate enough that the entire time i've been paying attention to the hugos there has been a hugo voter packet and it is like borderline miraculous like i get so much great stuff from my worldcon membership every year and like that's not why i buy worldcon memberships but like i am not complaining it is 10 out of 10 initiative and the community does a great job with it every year for like a lot of work and very little recognition so yes thank you to the people involved yeah all of that and obviously they're way better than those yahoos from last year oi yeah definitely no 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 battlers did that make any sense no because i should clearly be the lizbat the lizbat is that like a wombat it's used to play liz no 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 lizbat oh because my name guys because my name oh yeah because her surname's Batty. That means... That means <laughs> I'm so sorry, Liz. Jesus. <laughs> Despite this being Whisper's Constitution Corner, I actually had nothing to do with putting this one in the show notes. So I only put it in because it was kind of interesting. But, I mean, it might not be kind of interesting. No, it's kind of interesting, but someone else put it in and I, someone else should explain it because I didn't, didn't actually come up with this one. Oh, I should start explaining it then, which is Kevin Stanley um, posted a tweet saying... The election to select the 2024 NASVIC, North American Science Fiction Convention, will happen at the 2023 NASVIC, not the 2023 Worldcon. Only members of the 2023 NASVIC will be able to vote on where the 2024 NASVIC will be. If you don't believe me, read the Worcester's Constitution. And I went, I do not know that. That was that surprised me. That was a today I learned thing for me. At which point? I did at this point point out that this was also true at Dublin because obviously New Zealand and Dublin were two overseas world cons in a row and so the NASVIC vote in 2019 was not at the world con and so I already knew this but but yes it is I think something people forget because it I mean and to be fair in people's defense it is a relatively rare thing there haven't been that many consecutive overseas world con pairs um it's getting more common obviously now um but but yeah as I am going have the previously ever been a consecutive pair of overseas world cons before dublin and con zealand i don't think so probably not no so this was news before we started doing the podcast i mean technically yes if montreal it doesn't because that doesn't count because it's still north american so in that case i think the answer is no so we could have noticed this in 2019 or no doubt john did notice it in 2019 but i did not because i was not paying a lot of attention to the aspect then. I know it's come up in conversation before now, though, because because of the idea that it would be quite funny to stuff the ballot at a Worldcon to get the Nasvic to go to Jersey. <laughs> 
Is there, there must be something in the Woodsford's Constitution that says the Nazfic has to be in North America, surely. Yes, because I'm pretty sure there is a list of what defines North America in the Woodsford's Constitution. Yes, I think we were actually thinking of putting it in some US overseas territory that is not very close to the United States. I think it's something like you can put it in like uh, Saint-Pierre Miquelon, something like that. Like somewhere that is basically quite awkward to get to from most of North America. So technically, you, so this means that technically you could hold a NASFIC in France. Is one of those places technically France? Yes. Nice. Saint-Pierre Miquelon is a French territory. Nice. According to what I'm finding on the internet, it's not like I, you know, I'm intimately familiar with all the French overseas territories or anything like that. I presume someone put that in just to stop people arguing about it at Whispers business meetings. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Picks this week, I am picking Sci-Fi London, specifically the short film programmes of Sci-Fi London. Uh, which are basically they do sci-fi london in london at the picture house stratford every year and they have started putting the short film selections online they did this first in the pandemic and then uh they've carried it on this year which is great and for the princely sum of 12 pounds you get about 10 hours of short film which is a great value so i went to the show notes say i know what my pick this is it's going to be the sci-fi london short films which john told me to watch um and so i Went to find it in the picks, and I was like, oh, no, not again. But this time, I think John clearly did have the moral high ground. And so I have not picked that. Anyway, tell us about the short films, John. I have watched two and a half of the five streams because there was a problem with the website yesterday, and I was going to uh, watch the others last uh, yesterday afternoon and was unable to, sadly. But it's fixed today, so I'll be watching the others today and tomorrow. Um, there are five programs of shorts the first one is strain in the brain the second one is our robot overlords the third one is all you can eat alien buffet the fourth one is artificial insolence and the fifth one is the future's orid they're quite tenuous there are definitely films where i'm like why was that not in one of the other programs i don't understand why it's in this one i will say in general shorts program one and two i thought the overall quality was quite a bit lower than it was last year but i don't know whether that's kind of just because i've got rose tinted glasses for last year or whether because they just weren't really my cup of tea um a couple of the standouts i've watched so far were saint android which i really thoroughly enjoyed uh and teacher which was was very good and those are both in the our robot overlords program and then in the strain in the brain program there was one called subscribed which i liked a lot oh and there's one called thank you which was amazing i'm fascinated by the idea that you went through the streams because we kind of went well oh they've organized them into streams so these are things that are thematically linked so we will watch the first film from stream one and then the second film from stream two and then the third film from stream three and so on um so that we actually get variety in our short films um, but I would agree that of the ones that we have seen, we've not seen quite as many as half, but we've seen quite a lot of them. I mean, I thought it was interesting as a kind of, well, how would you do short science fiction films on small budgets? I didn't think the quality was that great. There was one that I liked that I found incredibly depressing. I should have made a note of names, but I didn't. 
but in general, I thought that they were maybe there just aren't that many great short science fiction films being made. But I really liked the opportunity to watch them. I liked the variety of it. I liked the fact that somebody is taking the time to go and put together a program of short science fiction films and get it out there on the internet because I, I think that's a very worthy and good thing to be doing. Um, it kind of made me go, oh, you know, if all you have to do to make a short science fiction film is film somebody wafting on a bit in a warehouse and jiggle the camera a bit, then I think I could probably manage some of that. Maybe I should be making films. Oh, that one was crap. Sorry, that was one of the ones I really detested. (laughs) So there is an issue with the shorts in general that a lot of the science fiction concepts in them... I mean, this is also a problem with science fiction at high budget and full length is that sometimes the science fiction concepts within these films are extremely old hat and you're getting away with it because you have lots of other things going on that are interesting but when you do it um when you do it in a very small tight film um it becomes a lot more obvious i think this is one of the reasons why i've always found it interesting that you gravitate towards shorter forms because i feel like short stories wouldn't be your jam at the moment because a lot of them a lot of the shorts in the sfl program remind me quite a lot of a lot of the short fiction i've read recently and that it's not yeah, it's it's certainly true that short fiction, short fiction's not as good as it was when I was fourteen. Who knew? Older member of podcast waves fist at sky news at eleven. Old member of podcast goes science fiction was better when I was young. I mean, I'm not sure that's actually true. And I, when we come to talk about the Hugo books, I will be saying I do not think that it is in fact true. Um, but certainly, when you get short films, it kind of does bring that out a bit, especially short films on very small budgets. And there was one that was there was one called Bunker that was made on a much larger budget, and we both agreed that it was very stylish and had a lot going on. But we neither of us really think we understood it at all, and we think we might have needed to understand more about Australia to to understand it. So when you watch that one, you can have a think, see if you see if I'm just too stupid for it. I'm okay with you doing something which is a relatively well-worn idea and doing it well. And I'm okay with you doing a really interesting idea and having some problems with execution. But if you're doing an old hat idea and you execute badly, that is the segment of the graph where I get annoyed. But there are some really great ones. Like There are some that I really, really enjoyed. So, um, you know, I am and in general, I'm very glad to watch them again and i'm very glad that they've put them online again and um unlike last year where they were just all in alphabetical order i'm kind of glad that i get to watch them in the way the festival directors presented them unlike allison i don't get five new albums and listen to track one on each album and then track two on each (laughs) album and then track three on each album for the variety uh because i think putting things together artistically probably probably don't want to know how i listen to music because basically they invented shuffle about 15 years ago and my life was transformed uh, different presentations of ADHD listeners. Do not diagnose yourself based on a podcast. <laughs> that's that's just good advice. So, Alison, what was your pick? Um, so my pick, um, and I haven't watched all of it yet, but my pick is Severance, and I have to, I have to say, Severance is a, I think it's eight or ten episode, um, Apple TV Plus drama series. So I'm afraid it's another good thing on Apple TV Plus, guys. Just get it for a month, watch all the good stuff, and let it go again. A series, and the thing about this is that the premise of this series doesn't become clear until about two thirds of the way through the first episode. So, if that's the sort of thing that bothers you, 
A, don't watch the trailer, and and B, I'm about to spoil. So I did say to John, please watch the first episode of Severance because I know that he would have to edit the podcast and I, knew, I know that he's very <laughs> averse to spoilers of this kind. So with that amount of warning, the premise is that they've taken non-disclosure agreements to a greater degree and we have a world here in which you have an outside world where you are not at work and you have an inside world where you're at work and the and your brain has had an implant put in it with some hand wavy sciencey magic i do not think that is ever going to get properly explained it's not that sort of show um so that you do not remember anything about being at work when you're not at work and you do not remember anything about um being not at work when you're at work and your life is completely separated um and there are lots of things i really really like about the show and i haven't seen the whole thing yet um so i but a couple of things i wanted to specifically mention is that the aesthetic of the workplace is fantastically produced so they've created this kind of absolutely horrifying office where you aren't quite sure what you're doing but there are a lot of weird corridors and you're working in very small groups of people and there are some people who seem to know what's going on but you're not really one of them but you're there all the time and people get used, probably, to the fact that they are actually stuck there, that the person outside has made this decision that they're going to be stuck in the world. This slightly reminded me of the episode of Black Mirror, where somebody has made a clone of themselves to do all the boring parts of their life in thinky space. So it is playing with some of the same sorts of ideas about um, what it is reasonable to get parts of your consciousness to do. I very much, I think your point about the implant, we'll never find out how it works. I think that is true. I think for me, the best science fiction is something that assumes that something is possible that is not necessarily possible and then extrapolates what the ramifications of that might be. And I think, I think kind of, I don't mind there being a MacGuffin if that, you know, the show is being, I think, from i've seen the first two episodes i really like how the show is portraying the world in which this is possible and like i really like how it's portraying the way the employer treats it and the way that the people around the the central character who has had this process done treat the process and treat him as a result i think it is and and i really like the explanation of like what might make you do it if it was an option i think i think these are all things that are being done very well and in a way i find very very compelling both the worlds both the, the interior world is very stylized and is amazingly so but the exterior world is also pretty strange you know there are some very odd things about it there are odd characters there are odd it's the actual town in which this is set feels a little bit like twin peaks in terms of having that sense of slight detachment from from anything you might reasonably expect things to be this premise was completely new to me um but i have since learned that obviously there are stories in the canon that that deal with it it's not absolutely new but it was it was completely new to me when you're talking about alison you don't like science fiction because you keep going well i've seen all these ideas before this i hadn't seen this one hadn't really seen this treated in this way this is hitting all of my a novel idea done interestingly and well buttons in a good way. 
And I recommend it firmly, despite the fact that I haven't seen all of it yet. And I'm slightly worried it's going to spiral out of control and become like Lost. So I have seen all of it. There are nine episodes, John, not six or eight or ten. I I did really enjoy it. And I'm not bothered that it doesn't really explain the how. But I do feel, without going into Timmy's spoilers, that the first series does not actually spend enough time on the why as in it doesn't get, for me, it did not get to a satisfactory point where I felt the first series should end. It does get to a good point, but it's like, and I was a bit like, oh, okay, so now I'm just waiting for series two where you will explain, you know, more of what is going on. I mean, I think it becomes obvious in the first two episodes that whatever they're doing is something weird. You know, they're not just doing it because work life is boring and you may wish to detach yourself from it. They've, they've got some other motive going on. And I wasn't satisfied with how that kind of resolved itself in the first first series. But there are some very satisfying things about it. And I thought uh, John Turturro and Christopher Walken, uh, I really like them. Yes, 100%. Uh, they've got a lot of good character actors in it doing interesting things. Well, and also, so I want to say that I think Adam Scott is also amazing in it. Adam Scott is in Parks Recreation season three onwards. He plays Ben. And he's been in other things. He was in a show called Ghosted, which kind of touches on some of the same themes as this, starring him and Craig Robinson, who plays the Pontiac Bandit in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Scott plays a mathematician whose wife has gone missing, and Robinson plays a cop who is kind of being roped in to investigate paranormal things and they get thrown together and it's kind of like a buddy comedy kind of thing opposites attract the woman playing heli in severance played scott's uh ex-wife in ghosted but the other thing i want to say is oh apple tv plus has a lot of good sci-fi on it now like ho ho like because i like i know not everyone loves for all mankind but i liked for all mankind quite a lot it's got this which i very much like and it's got a few other bits and bobs on that are quite good i mean i haven't seen foundation i know it wasn't universally well reviewed um but but you know i'm just i quite like that there's a lot of this super well done super interesting i think quite hard science fiction being made and i I am here for it, listeners. I am very much enjoying their output. Well, given that Amazon Prime is also doing a lot of really interesting SF, is bankrolling a lot of really interesting SF, I feel like we're in a time where possibly because because nerds have a lot of money now, um, a lot of money is being put into vastly more thoughtful SF than than traditionally was available especially in television especially in television but also movies and i really like it i don't think it's that there's a i don't think necessarily they have lots more money it's just that there is there's just vastly more television yes because there's also like stuff like made for love and like a few other things coming out of um hbo that are really really interesting as well um and so i do think that the amount of just good sci-fi is generally higher than it has been for a while which i'm excited about uh liz do you have a pick this week no cool that was the octothought podcast and it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me
I've been busy and then when I'm busy all I do is watch like Bob's Burgers and reread books I've already read. <gasps> so So tell us about Bob's Burgers. What's Bob's Burgers? You've hang on, what? Okay, so this is the after show. What's Bob's Burgers? Bob's Burgers is an animated show by the people that make Central Park on Apple TV Plus. Uh and it's a bit like that without the songs and a bit weirder. Uh and it's very good. I like Bob's Burgers. Um I'll watch Central Park first then. Central Park is genuinely great it's is i I do adore it i I get from liz's head tilt she might be less i can't get into it so i can't get into central park i don't know why but i do like bob's burgers fair enough yeah so it's my current like i need to watch some i want to watch something for half an hour that will be good and not too taxing and so i put on bob's burgers is it genre no no it's about a guy who runs a burger shop Hmm. and his kids and his wife Hmm. his name's bob it has a lot of puns in it, hmm. in the background. Ooh. Not so much in the text of the show. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very good. It is. I like it a lot. The one I just watched is set at, you know, what is obviously their version of a uh, My Little Pony convention full of bronies, which is quite funny. There's a movie coming out. There's a movie out today, I think, in the UK, or like maybe last week. But we're not up to date. And also we sort of figured it's the sort of movie that probably works just as well on streaming. So uh, we might wait for that. It might it might even be the sort of movie where if you go see it in a cinema, you can see the pixels move, which always winds me up. I'd be I'd be surprised. This is probably something from the past. When my kids were growing up, quite a lot of the movies that were aimed at children, if you went to see them in the cinema, you could see the pixels, which I always thought was a bit shit. No, I mean, that does sound very, very annoying. I don't think Bob's Burgers is aimed at children. I don't know. I might be wrong. No, I don't think so. It's quite a lot about middle age, <laughs> I would say. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Oh, I should definitely... Yeah, no, that's what I need. I need more depressing shows about middle age. Yeah, it's not depressing, I don't think. Unless you think about it too hard, in which case maybe, but that's often true. Everything's depressing if you let it watch a middle-aged. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.